What a beautiful morning it is this morning. Thank you for being here. We have a lot of visitors. I attribute that probably to Mother's Day and not to the fact that I'm a great speaker. And I appreciate you being here. I hope you'll find that the things I have to say are accordance to God's will because that is my desire and that I use the scriptures correctly. I would like for the lesson of the morning to continue our three-part series, and this is the third part, the last part we have. And it's about walking humbly with our God. The text that we have used, what does God require of you? If God requires it of us, it's important. We need to be striving to do it. And we've had a lesson on but to do justly, and we've talked about that, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To do all of these three things are difficult. They're not easy. It requires us to work at it. To do justly, as we talked about, it's hard to not have our own opinions. It is not to be just to be a little shaded one side or another. It's hard to judge righteously, justly, to do things the right way. To love mercy, it's a lot easier to, to seek revenge. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's a whole lot easier than it is for forgiving your enemies. It's a whole lot easier than being merciful. And this morning as we discuss the lesson, I think you'll see that it's also very difficult and hard for us as human beings to be stay humble with our God. It's just not human nature as we say. We want to be proud of what we do. We want to be proud and, and pride ourselves in how good we are in school, how good we are at work, how good we are at whatever the ambition is. And don't take me wrong, the scriptures tell us that we need to work hard and we need to take pride in what we do and we need to make sure that we're doing the best we can. But there's a fine line between doing the best you can and thinking that it's you that's doing it because it's not. God gives us the talents to do what we do. God gives us the opportunities to do what we do. It's up to us to take advantage of those. But it's God that does these things for us. It's not within us by our own righteousness or our own self. All of us that are here desire to be with God. When this life is over or when Christ comes back, we want to be in heaven with God. And Jesus said in Matthew the fifth chapter, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that are contrite, those that are humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the very first beatitude that we have listed there by Christ. It's important that we have a poor, that we are poor in spirit with a contrite heart. Isaiah 57 and 15 says this, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is contrite and humble spirit. If you want to spend eternity in heaven, you need to be trying your very best to be humble. There aren't prideful people there. God surrounds himself with those that are contrite and have a humble spirit. 
Psalms 57, the writer there in verse 16 says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest not to burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken, sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. The sacrifice to God is not, as he says here, the burnt offerings, but the fact that we have given ourselves to Christ. We have given ourselves to God. We have the broken spirit. We are servants of his. And that's what is important in our lives. When Jesus went out to pray there towards the end of his life in Gethsemane, he asked the disciples to watch and pray. And when he came back down, they were all asleep. And he used this phrase, he said, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. All of us here know that we need to be humble. All of us here need to know that we shouldn't be prideful. But you know what? That's hard to do. And although we know that's what we ought to be doing, it's difficult. And it's difficult to be humble because sometimes just pride gets in the way. It's in our way. And it makes it difficult for us to be humble for the Lord. Let me talk about for a minute how easy it is to fall in that trap and get your thoughts along this line. In Luke, the 18th chapter, Jesus said this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Who did he pray with? He prayed for himself. God. Thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. Now, you and I that have looked at the scriptures at all and, and know this particular parable, it's pretty easy for us to see that, man, this guy was full of pride. And this guy thought he had it all. And he was so proud of himself. But how easy it is for me to say I'm better than the guy on the street that never goes to church. I'm better than the guy that I, I know from work. Man, he'll lie at drop of the hat. I'm better than that. Well, in fact, anytime the doors open, I'm at church. And I give of my money to the Lord. I'm better than most of the people in the world. Well, when you put it in personal terms, hmm, I've done that. This Pharisee did it, and we shouldn't do it. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Who was Jesus speaking this parable to? If you back up one verse from where we started. He spake this parable unto certain who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. The Pharisee group of Israelite Jews, they thought that if they could do every part of the law down to the infinite little spot of it, which they couldn't, but they thought they could and they tried, they could make themselves righteous. 
And God would be happy with that. And they would be righteous just because they did it themselves. It was great. Aaron in his prayer mentioned that what we are all as unclean things and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. I don't care how good a Christian you think you are. I don't care how good a person you think you are in sight of God. What is our righteousness? It's filthy rags. We're not good enough to be righteous. A good reason to be humble because we can't do it ourselves. Proverbs 16 said, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. Boy, is that against human nature. I want to be on the winning team. I want to be a part of that Super Bowl win. I don't want to be the team that lost. I want to be with those that are very successful at whatever it is we're doing. But the writer here says that's not near as good as being with people that are humble, that are lowly, that esteem others better than themselves. That's just against human nature. But the scriptures tell us that's the way we need to strive to be. In Proverbs 6 and 16, the writer here talks about seven things that God hates. And the very first one on the list is a proud look. Now, I know it's probably just coincidental, but we've already read what Jesus said. What was his first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus said being poor in spirit is important. And the writer of Proverbs said the first thing that God hates is a proud look. We need to be humble. I want to talk about two characters that we find in the Bible this morning to emphasize how they were how they were pride and become became humble. And the first one that I want to talk about is Saul of Tarsus, who later on was renamed Paul the Apostle. The pride of Saul and the humility of Paul. Later in Paul's life, he wrote this about himself in Philippians 3 and 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, he says, if you want to brag about how good you are in the flesh, he says, if any man thinketh that he hath wherever he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. He said, I'm better than any of you guys. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. You won't find any better person than me. That's the way Saul of Tarsus thought. But Paul said, yea, doubtless. I count all these things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung or waste, that I may win Christ. He said the only thing that was important to him is to win Christ. He said all of these attributes of how great I was in this life are nothing. They're trash. They're waste. And that the idea of suffering for Christ is what's important, that I might win Christ. (laughs) 
He also says, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is the God by faith. As we said about the Pharisees, they thought they could be their own righteous person. Saul of Tarsus says, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But the Apostle Paul realized that my own righteousness by the law can't save me. It won't do it. So instead, through faith in the righteousness of Christ, because who was perfect? Who was righteous in this world? It was Christ. And it's his example that we follow, and it's the fact that God sent him as a sacrifice for us that his righteousness by faith can be attributed to us. Let's talk a minute about the fall of Saul. We all know the conversion of Saul to Paul. And in Acts 9, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. I can just imagine how that the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish religion, the, the high priest just patting Saul on the back. Go get them, Saul. These are blaspheming people. These are people that says Jesus Christ is the Son of God. These are people that you need to bring to trial, that you need to bring, and we need to persecute them because of their beliefs. Go get them, Saul. You know, Saul was proud. He was doing the Lord's work. He was doing what God wanted him to do. He was going after these, these nothing people that were blaspheming God because they said that Jesus was the Son of God. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. You want to think of somebody, Saul of Tarsus, that went from the top of pride of his religion, thinking he was doing great, to having the one he was persecuting stand before him and say, what in the world are you doing, Saul? You're persecuting me and my people. Guess what? All of a sudden, Saul of Tarsus thought, man, I'm on the wrong side. I'm in the wrong place. Talk about falling all the way down from the top. Saul of Tarsus certainly did. And he's trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go to, into the city, and shall be told thee what thou must do. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. I think if this happened to me, I certainly would be trembling. I was persecuting God's people through his son. I was persecuting the Son of God and those that believed in him, and he's standing before me, and I'm saying, what am I going to do about it? And you can see that he was dedicated to that, for it said that he didn't even eat or drink for three days, waiting on an answer of what he could do. Pride goeth before destruction, and a hearty spirit before the fall. One other thing I'd like to say about Saul and, uh, and Paul the Apostle. 
is Paul wrote in his writings in a, a number of places about the thorn in the flesh. We all know the thorn in the flesh. And how that he prayed three times that the thorn in the flesh would be removed and Christ said that his faith was sufficient and no, he wasn't going to remove it. There's scholars through the century have said and tried to guess what the thorn in the flesh was. Went through the scriptures and tried to figure out what it was and we don't really, won't really know until we get to heaven and ask him. But what I want to point out is, is what did Paul think the sword, of the, the sword of the flesh was. Well, why did he have it? In 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, in the 6th verse, it says, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He said, because of all the revelations that Jesus Christ gave to me, because I started almost every church in the Mideast, and because I could do miracles, and because I had a great following of people, and because I wrote letters to all these churches and became sort of the one that everyone came to, he said, you know, the thorn in the flesh reminds me that it's not me. Reminds me so that I don't think of myself better than I am. See, Saul of Tarsus was a very proud man. The Apostle Paul was a very humble man, but the Apostle Paul knew that you can go from one end to the extreme to the other if you're not careful. And he said, because I've done all these great things, the thorn in the flesh has really kept me in perspective. Kept me so that I don't think of myself better than I should, but to think of myself as doing the will of God and what he wants me to do, I will do it. You can't talk about humility and pride without talking about Nebuchadnezzar, I don't think, in any kind of lesson. We all know the story of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. God called him his messenger, his servant, not his messenger, I'm sorry, his servant, because he was sent to... to uh, to punish the children of Israel for their evil deeds, but he also was sent to punish all of the tribes that had punished or fought against the children of Israel. It was not Nebuchadnezzar that did this. It was God. Nebuchadnezzar had a number of dreams that we find in Daniel, and the last one of those that's recorded, he called Daniel to get Daniel to interpret, and Daniel didn't want to interpret it because it was not good for the king. It wasn't something that he wanted to hear. And Nebuchadnezzar said, no, I need to know. Tell me. And he said, you know, you're going to lose your kingdom. And you're going to become as a wild animal. And you're going to live out in the fields. I think it's interesting that Daniel didn't say, well, if you do this and this and this, that won't happen. That's not what he said. He said, if you'll be uh, merciful and you'll be just, I believe is the words he used, what will happen is, is maybe we'll extend it before it happens. Because it's going to happen. Well, we know the account there that it was just a year later. 
And Nebuchadnezzar was walking around in, in his royal palace, and in verse 30 it says, The king spoke, saying, Is not the great, this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, you, to you it is spoken, The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the fields. They make you to eat grass like oxen, and seven times, or I believe that's seven years, shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of man and gives it to whoever he chooses. Nebuchadnezzar, you're the king of a great nation, Babylon, but God put you there. You and I, are here this morning because God put us here. Because we're here, not at our own bidding, not because of our own righteousness, not because of own things we can do. But it is God's will. It says there, and at the end of time, at the end of the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lived forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is, in the, is from generation to generation. God gave Nebuchadnezzar back his understanding, his senses. He wasn't a wild animal anymore. And he began to praise God because he had learned a lesson that God does whatever God wants to do. It says, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his, uh, I'm sorry, restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? How often mankind says, well, why did God do that? In fact, I think I've been guilty of saying that about my life. Why is my life like that? Why did God cause this to happen? You know what Nebuchadnezzar said? He says, we don't have a right to ask. We don't have a right. We don't even understand what he does. And he can do whatever he wills. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exult and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson the hard way. Seven years in the field eating grass. But what he learned is, is God is God, and God will do what God wants to do, and it is God that directs everything that happens, and he's able to, to put down anybody that is prideful. As we end our lesson, let's talk about Christ's example. Obviously, he is the one that we need to emulate our lives about. Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 said, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The Son of God, the Trinity Three, there at the creation of everything, came to this earth as a man. 
And when he saw that he was in the likeness of man, what did he do? He humbled himself and became obedient. What excuse do we have to be prideful? What excuse do we have to hold pride in our heart? It's going to be hard at the judgment day to stand there before the Lord who was humble to the point of obedience and say, well, I just couldn't be that humble. I just couldn't. Christ did. The Trinity three, he did because he was a man. Again, there in Philippians 2, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambitions or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other, others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let us esteem others better than himself. That ain't easy. It's not human nature to do that. But you and I need to realize that all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us are as filthy rags. We don't have any right to be prideful or to think we're better than someone else. It's just not there. Ephesians 2 and 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespassed, made us live together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He said, God rich in his mercy, sent his great love, his son, even when we were dead and trespassed, even we were sinful people. And he did it so that in ages to come, he can show how great his riches is and his grace and the kindness he had towards his creation through his son. For by grace you have been saved through faith and is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before, beforehand, and we should walk in them. We don't have our own righteousness. We're not as the, we shouldn't be as the Pharisees were. Our righteousness is through faith in Christ Jesus. Our righteousness is because he was righteous. And because through him we can have our sins forgiven that we can be upright in the sight of God. That's where the righteousness comes from. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I hope there's been something in the lesson this morning to get you to think during the week. As I said, these topics are not easy to do. This is not easy. But that's what the Lord wants us to do, is to be humble, to be contrite. Let him take care of everything. Let him lift us up. This has not been a lesson of the first principles. It is a custom that we offer the invitation this time. If there's someone subject to the gospel call, we ask you to come as we stand and sing a couple of verses of the song selected.